Welcome to Buy Size Dental Marketing. Today I have Doug Fedick. Doug, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. On the pre-show, you were talking about you've 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 spoke about twenty-five times this year. That's a busy man. But before we jump into today, I would love to hear the origin story of Doug. How'd you get started? You know, where's your first client? Where, tell me about your life there. <laughs> well, I'm originally from North Dakota, so I was born in a small log hospital in Bismarck. Uh, just kidding, but I am from North Dakota. I'm one. Of, I think the last one left that turned out the lights there. But anyway, I actually kind of I fell into dentistry accidentally, and before yeah. I get to that part, I. I went to college for a couple of years. I was bored. I ended up uh, deciding I was going to take a backpacking trip to Europe. So I worked construction for a year and got a one-way ticket to Germany and ended up taking seven years off between my sophomore and junior year of college. Uh, so I, I was a blackjack dealer, restaurant manager. I sold World Book Encyclopedias door to door. So I, I, have a, I have a varied background. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> and then when I, when I finally went back to school and I got my accounting degree, I, I graduated, got a CPA. And I started working as a CPA, and I and I had this thought that you know what, I don't know if I really love doing debits and credits. Which, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's like you had that kind of moment where it's like, wait a minute, do I'm going to spend the next thirty years doing debits and credits? And fortunately, I guess maybe because I'm I'm an extrovert and I enjoy people, and and I I was fortunate enough to do some some teaching at the college level for accounting. I found out that I really enjoy uh, public speaking. And getting to the crux of the story, I joined a CPA firm uh, in, a, in a business development role. So my job was to go out there and you know talk to CFOs and CEOs and help bring in business. And they had a they had a dental niche. It was a regional CPA firm. They had about 200 dental clients around the country. And they came to me and they said, "Hey, Doug, our our partner in charge of the dental niche is going to retire. Would you be interested in taking over the dental niche?" And I said, "Well." I've been to the dentist, so sure, that makes me an, makes me an expert. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and he, he actually did a lot of public speaking, and he was so generous and gracious, and I traveled around with him for six months around the country and kind of learned the ropes of his messaging to dentists and, and connected to some of the dental industry folks who booked these events. And so I was fortunate to kind of um, ease into it through him as he retired, and I, in a sense, took over his role and expanded in some ways. And so that was the, the genesis was that um, someone was uh, foolish enough to ask me if I wanted to take over the dental niche of the CPA firm. <laughs> so I kind of fell into it, I tell people. No, that's great. Now, where'd you go from there? And, and, and you know, what were the highlights of that era there? Oh, well, so first of all, that, that era, it was, it was just amazing to, um, to get to meet so many people in the dental in the dental space and and to do all these different events, some of them were large hotel ballroom things where they're trying to you know it's like a, a technology summit where they have the big all the bells and whistles, and others were small study clubs with you know 25 people in uh, Salem, Oregon, or fill in the blanks, you know, small town kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed talking to the dentists, and I enjoyed, in, in my humble opinion, trying to inspire them to maybe think about running their business a little differently because what I saw when I talked to the dentist is that there was a there was a desire to learn how to be a better a better business person and a better leader. And so I felt like if I could reach even a few of those people and help them learn some things they could do to, to improve their practice, I felt like indirectly I was also helping them improve their their life, their patients' lives and the lives of their team. And so mm -hmm. I kind of felt this this growing um, legacy component of what I was doing. Every time I talked to a group of dentists, I felt like, you know, maybe if I touched one person in the audience, it could have that ripple effect. It's the, the world is so funny now. Origin stories are falling out. Now everyone wants the hero story where you're the guide. 
you know when I figure out where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny you say that. I I tend to be a contra a contrarian, I, and and I'm trying to work on that, but I am, and and I've always rebelled and and against this concept of you know begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. You know what do you want from me? I I, be, I don't know where my mm-hmm. shoes are, and, and you want me to map out you know what I'm doing, and I stumbled on this book, and and what you just said triggered it. It was. And it's it's written by a South African by the name of Boyd Vardy, and it's called The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. And he has this phrase in here that resonated so deeply with me. And he said, you know, I don't know where I'm going, but I know exactly how I'm going to get there. I like it. I was like, that's me. Like, I know that there are many people who do crushingly well to beginning with the end in mind. I know how I want to conduct my business. I know how I want to conduct myself. And I have no idea where I'm going. But, but by putting one foot in front of the other consistently the way I want to, I'm, I'm going to get there. there there's, there's actually a lot of value in that. One of the, like I've worked in several large companies and one of the most important things, one, one, of, the, one of the greatest weaknesses for a lot of leaders is they have nobody who will tell them what they think they want to hear. They won't uh-huh. tell them what they really believe. And so the, the hardest thing for uh, a leader is to surround themselves with, with people who are comfortable uh, being themselves and being true to who they are and being yeah, open about that. Well, you're, you're, you know, the person is always somewhat censoring what they say to that person above them because that person can impact their career mm-hmm. and their salary and everything else. And so unless you have somebody who's self-confident enough to be honest, you're oftentimes going to get filtered feedback. Yeah. Do you see that a lot in the dental offices? Um, I think it depends. I think there's some dental offices where, you know, the office managers are doing their 20 years or the hygienist and they know every patient and they're, they're, they're more comfortable, I think, teaching the teaching the dentist at times, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think, I think it depends. I think it depends on, I think it depends on the, the, the dentist as well, how, how approachable they are, what their leadership style is. Mm-hmm. Of course, if they have a more dictatorial leadership style, that's, that's the response you're going to get from your team. But if they're more open and accepting of, of their, their team's views and, and input. Yeah. Now, I mean, where do you spend the most of your time? Like, like, uh, you know, how are you? Talk me through the uh, day in the life of Doug. Well, my origin story may be even unique for you, but uh, when we get to it, but my, I really spend my time traveling around the country, speaking to uh, dentists, dental groups um, about the business side of dentistry, thinking like a CEO, leading with an abundant mindset, and, and embracing technology to grow. And so I've probably spoken. 25 times this year um, around hmm. the country. I, I, I tend to live between, I go between Portland and San Diego because my granddaughters are in San Diego. So, uh, but, but I speak for a lot of the large dental companies, study clubs, um, dental associations. Um, there seems to be a hunger for, I think, someone who can help dentists move into that, shift into that role of being a CEO and running their practice that way. And so I don't, I joke with people, I don't have to do any real work anymore. I just get to talk. But, but my hmm. goal is to inspire them to take action and then the other thing I love to do is to connect them, whether it's a CPA, a lawyer, a marketing firm, um, wealth advisors, people that I know and trust that work with dentists. And so if they want some help, I'm happy to connect them with people that I think mm-hmm. can help them or they can consider helping them grow their practice. Because a lot of dentists, they don't know where to begin. I find, you know, I, I didn't start this company until significantly later, I'd say later in my career. I mean, I, I didn't just start in the first 20 years of my career. And in the technology space I came from, I mean, you could go and, and, and get inside baseball on almost any company and their tech, pl- tech platform. And, you know, there was so much knowledge sharing. 
and, and, and real knowledge sharing, I'm going to say candor, not, not the, the CEO BS of, you know, I sent a mailer. This is the, this is the one I love in marketing. I sent a mailer and I got, you know, 82 new patients in one month. I mean, oh my God, I, you know, that's amazing in 20, <laughs> 20, 2022 or, you know, but I, I, right. that did not happen. Right. You know, the lies about how big they are, you know, things like that. It, I find dentists to be more myopic or more guarded perhaps than the average, you know, for, from where I came from. Is that, do you agree, disagree with that statement? Probably put it in a way that a lot of dentists, so they, first of all, a lot of them, some of them are not, are not great leaders. So they, they struggle with being in that CEO role and leading the dental office. And they come in and there might be um, an emergency with a patient. There's drama with the team. Uh, that happens day after day. For, and a lot of them, they never sit back and they never think strategically mm -hmm. about how to run a practice. And before you know, five years have passed. And it's really, it's really just kind of, they, they, they're, they're, they're in a completely reactive mode versus a proactive mode. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I meet dentists who are crushing it, they're the ones who will step back, be in a proactive role. They'll take time to think about what, what, are they, what do they want to build? What kind of practice do they want to have? How do I want to leverage technology? They'll, they'll take a SWAT tool and they'll, they'll, use, they'll use techniques that some of their colleagues go, what's that? And, mm -hmm. But for a lot of them, it's it's day to day because if you don't, if you allow yourself to get sucked into everything, you, you, you'll be occupied, you'll be reactive all throughout the day, right? And that's, mm -hmm. that's true in any profession. If you don't take the time to step back and allow yourself some quiet time, allow yourself the ability to think strategically, it's, it's, it may never happen. Now, is that sort of where you begin to coin the think like a CEO and, and, and such things? I mean, how did that come about, you know, as you, as you advance through the speaking? Well, some of it, it was kind of an evolution. When I first started doing the dental talks, a lot of it was, uh, it was, you know, inherited from the, from the past person. And some of it's stuff that you're never going to change. It talks about, you know, the power of depreciation when you buy a piece of equipment, you have tax incentives to grow your business and those kind of things. But I started sitting back and thinking about what what kind of questions I was hearing from the dentists in the audience and what I felt they would they would need. Mm -hmm. And so some of these broader concepts started coming to me around really it's it's a mindset shift for the dentist. Yeah, it's great if you understand depreciation. That's that's actually your CPA's job. But it's really more about um, how are you going to run your business most effectively? And so I started thinking um, at a higher level in terms of what could be beneficial to to the dentist and the audience and what they could take away. And I started to pair, think like a CEO, along with my personal philosophy that the um, the way you the way you go through life, your mindset becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. So I asked the, the the audience, you know, do you wake up in the morning with a scarcity mindset, where you think the pie is static in size? And if my slice gets bigger, your slice has to get smaller, or do you have an abundant mindset where if we collaborate together, we can grow the total pie and both of our slices can get bigger. And so I started incorporating that, that component of the messaging too, is that the fact that your, your mentality will at the end of the day become a self-fulfilling prophecy and trying to get them to, to move from a scarcity mindset to an abundant mindset. Now, when you think about from where you started, to today has have dentists changed has the industry changed has the culture of dentistry changed have we become better leaders or or, or not in the dental field 
as you sort of reflect on that timeline? Well, it's interesting. Certainly, there's been seismic shifts in terms of the uh, the consolidation in the dental industry. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have, you have you have DSOs and you have corporate dentistry, which is becoming more and more. Uh, of a component for for basic business reasons, right? Economies of scale. They can probably run, if they have 50 practices, they can probably run each practice per office cheaper than you can run one because they get economies of scale. Sure. Um, beyond that, though, I think there's a greater awareness because with with that with the growth of corporate dentistry and with growing student debt, I mean, you know, these kids are graduating with half a million dollars in student loans. I think there's a heightened hunger. To learn what they can do, because it's it's the days are gone when you can just put up a shingle and make make a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. So so young dentists, I think, are starting to realize, wait a minute, what do I need to do in this much more competitive environment to to maximize not only my potential, but but okay, I've got to, I'm looking at paying back these loans, and I and I want to be able to do all that and provide great dentistry and and build this nest egg. So I think I think dentists are starting to. Just think about things with a greater sense of, I don't know if urgency is the right word, but an awareness that I can't just slap up that shingle and the rest will take care of itself. I would agree. When we began, the number of times we would hear someone say, oh, I've never done marketing. This is my first time to hire a marketing company. I, I haven't heard that in five years. That's that's now. a good sign. And, and you know, and, and I think that that little KPI right there is they have become more aware and advanced in the you know CEO thinking of the world. I mean, and certainly it is it, caused by the external pressure, but no, it is a hard place to be for a new dentist right now, especially because practices are also uh, selling it, you know, record multiples and highs right now. So not only do you have more debt, you're, you're, you're not able to buy practices easily as you were. And, I saw some metric that, you know, north of 75% of associateships end, you know, without them buying in. I, I, I mean, that's incredibly high. It's, I it's a hard place. Stories. Yeah, I hear those stories all the time, Erica. It's like a relationship that you hope evolves into a marriage. But most most of the people, you don't you don't marry every person you date in life. And it's the same thing in, in a in a partner associate relationship. The, the, the issue is a lot of times it's the fault of the, um, the partner dentist because – I've seen some cases where they they sell the associated bill of goods. Oh, you're going to come in. Uh-huh. I'll give you all these treatment plans. You're going to make all this money. And then three months into it, the associate's going, I'm barely making enough to pay my, my student loan payment. They were sold the bill of goods. And so I always encourage the the, uh, the existing dentist, you've got to be transparent and upfront with the associate. And in a perfect world, your goal should be to be a mentor to them and help them learn and grow. Otherwise, I think you're short selling the associate. Yeah, agreed. It's, it, you're right. It's, I've seen I've seen numbers north of 75% of those wow. arrangements not working out. And it's really sad when a partner waits until, let's say they want to sell in two or three years, and they hope to bring an associate in and get all that done, and they bring the associate in, and after a year it doesn't work out, and now they're back to ground zero, and, and they're just about ready to retire. So they're, they, they didn't plan it out. They didn't give themselves enough runway. So that kind of leads me to the big question. There's a massive amount of pressure from insurance companies to reimburse less. A fee-for-service practice just takes a higher level of operational excellence than a, uh, a PPO practice. That's you know just the way it is. There's external pressures around the marketplace and consolidation. What are the challenges out there apart from that of Dennis becoming that CEO figure? And talk me through 
some of the common problems you see in making that transition with them? Well, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, so you mentioned insurance. When I, when I talk to dentists around the country, you know, I ask them, what are their big pain points? And insurance is always one. Mm-hmm. But the other one they all mentioned, at least for the last few years, is, is staffing issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, uh, I can't find good people. I can't keep good people. There's no hygienist, you know, fill in the blank, right? All that stuff. And then you know what I ask them? A little tough love time. I ask the dentist, I say, okay, so have you ever received formal leadership training? And when I ask this in it to a to a conference, we do usually about 10% raise their hands. So then I say, I kind of joke about it. I say, okay, so for the rest of you, I get it. You must have got all the leadership training you needed in dental school because, of course, they didn't get right. any, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. You're telling me leadership's a problem. You're telling me, I mean, you're telling me retention's a problem, but you haven't invested in the most important person in the practice, the person who's responsible for the one to two million dollars a year in production that'd be you <laughs> and so that 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 speaks to the relationship side and the team building side of 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 being a leader and i tell people if you don't if you don't invest in yourself and in, in, to become a great leader a dynamic team member should not stay with you they should go somewhere else why should they stay with you if they're a dynamic team member but you're not a dynamic leader and i, I would go so yeah. far as the 10 percent that raise their hand probably don't have staffing problems well, there you go. So, yeah. so that's, 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 that's cutting to the chase. It's like you're complaining about retention, but you haven't taken the time to invest in yourself to create in your team's minds, your, your goal, your, your team members should walk in there every, every day and they should be able to say, this is the greatest place I've ever worked. That's, that's, that in my opinion, that's your goal as, as a leader of that general practice. And some of it is just, I don't want to say basic, but it's kind of basic. It's it's caring about them as people. It's it's being sincere. It's showing that genuine concern. It's it's it's, it's leading with both a combination of strengths and warmth. It's all those things. Uh, but some people have the attitude of, you know, I I pay them well. I'm not a big talker. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't yell at them, so everything's cool, right? I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. like their attitude. No, it's, it's, it's true. One of the things along that CEO mindset that you're talking about in from marketing side point, one of the things we, we want them to understand is when we make the phone ring, when you start getting new patients to you, that's a massive number of, you know, just call it 30% of, you know, collections, right? You, you're, you're collecting more money to most of your staff. It is simply more work. Right. And, 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 I'm not saying you have to go put bonus plans and all this other crazy stuff in place, but but as a good leader, you have to acknowledge that I'm now taking home significantly more money by growing my practice and they may not be. And, and you don't have to do anything about it today, but we should at least talk about the elephant in the room because they know it. Well, yeah, they're, they're not dumb. And yep. I, I firmly believe that people respond to incentives. So if you can find a way to incentivize your team to provide better patient care to help you build a practice mm-hmm. and then feel that in some way they're they're sharing in the benefits of that then then you're home free yeah agreed now are you the ceo coach type that says i'm going to be 2.5 million uh, i'm going to set these financial goals or are you the i'm going to do the things that get me to 2.5 million like because there's there there's two disparate paths not they don't have to be disparate but there's two plans, right? There's two people. I'm going to be 2.5 million and then I work at it and here's what I'm going to do every day. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I'm, I'm more of a, here's, here's, here's what I'm going to do every day. Here's, here's how I'm going to lead my team. 
Mm-hmm. Um, here, here are those values and ethics that I'm committed to. Mm. And here's how I'm going to treat my patients. Because I feel if you do those things, that growth will occur. If, if you do the right things, if you become, if you invest in yourself as a leader, if you incorporate technology where the ROI is there to grow your practice, then I think if you do those things, you're going to grow regardless. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, whether your mm-hmm. ultimate goal is 2.5 or 3.5 or X thousands per hour of chair production, whatever the case is, I think, I think goals are great. And KPIs are great. But if the bedrock isn't how you, how you want to, the culture you want to create in the practice, I think culture is key. And one of my favorite quotes from Peter Drucker, you may have heard it, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I mean, so to me, it all starts with culture. No, I, yeah. If you set a goal, I want to be 3 million, but you come in tomorrow and do exactly what you did the day before you know, it's just a dream. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just a number at that point. Yeah. 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 Now, as you get into talking to dentists, what are, you know, we've talked about staffing, we've talked about some of the external challenges. What do you hear from them as to maybe why they're not changing? What What is the resistance? What is the, what is the blocker to success? I think sometimes it's as simple as, as inertia, I mean, most dentists, and we talked about this in the preamble, you know, they, they, they're doing okay. They're not on food stamps, right? They don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to do anything. They, they have to want to grow and improve their practice. So I think a lot of times it's simply the power of inertia. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm paying my bills, take some vacations. I'm investing some money in retirement. They're, they, they need to have the mindset that I want to, um, I want to maximize my legacy. I want to maximize what I'm able to do here, both in terms of providing dentistry and potentially, um, you know, accruing wealth if that's one of their goals. But for a lot of them, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to, to do okay. And, and the, and the years slip away or slip pass by and they don't have that, they don't have that mindset or that epiphany moment of saying, I want to, I want to take this to another level. I think it's lonely. I mean, I, I, I think oh. burnout and loneliness are easy to acquire when you're alone at the top of a, of your, of your kingdom. I agree. Yeah. And there's that, that bubble concept where hopefully they're at least involved in a study club and they have some colleagues. And in a perfect world, every every dentist, like like everybody in life, should have a mentor, someone who's, who they can look up to, that they can go to for advice, and, and just someone who's a sounding board for them. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. you, you truly can be in that bubble. So you may, hopefully you have some friends that you still are connected with from dental school. Hopefully you go to a study club and you, you try to learn from what you're um, – colleagues are doing and not doing because you know we all think you know we're all probably reasonably smart or we wouldn't get to to the point of being a dentist right but to to not appreciate what we can learn from others and by having the power of collaboration I, you're you're simply have to be missing out on on potential you mentioned technology a minute ago i have dentists buying cone beams and sometimes i'm like why why are you doing that how do you decide what technology to leverage how to layer it into the practice from your perspective. So when, when someone's considering technology, so, so the first question out of the gate, in my opinion, should always be, will this piece of technology improve my patient care? Hopefully the answer is yes. Or, or it's like, what are we even talking about, right? So if we're considering getting a cone beam, will it improve my standard of care? Uh, I'm not a technician, but from what I understand, I, th- I think, yes, it allows you to, to um, see things in 3D that are, that are, um, more powerful than in 2D. It's easier to 
explain to a patient what's happening. They can see the need for the treatment, for mm-hmm. example. But beyond that, in my mind, it really comes down to return on investment, like any CEO. So if I'm going to if I'm gonna buy a cone beam for fill in blank $100,000 for round numbers, and let's say I am able to make payments over five years, two or, two, two or three grand a month, whatever that comes out to, I'm going to get 30% back in depreciation. So I'm really not paying 100 grand. I got 30 grand back. Thank you, Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm. In your wisdom, now it's down to 70 grand. So it really comes down to how much am I going to increase my production and my income? If I'm going to do an, an additional fifteen dollars or $20,000 in treatment plans every month for that $2,500 a month in payments, you can start to see the math, right? Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of it comes down like thinking like any CEO would. What do I think the return on investment is going to be for this technology? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Now, do you apply that also to the bookkeeper you engage, the law, te- law, you know, the legal team you engage? Because there's dental specific, you know, everyone's got a niche. And we, we're talking a little bit on the pre-show. I love, I personally love my favorite, my favorite marketing engagements are when I come into an office, they already have some level of success and they have a strong team around them that they actually listen to. Because a lot of them have a strong team around them that they that they don't, but that they actually listen to, and those are almost home runs for us in, inevitably. But how do you, as you talk through that technology and that ROI, how are you working with your offices to make sure they have those teams in place? Because any good CEO I know has CEO you know, has a mentor or has you know that team, right? Right. Well, I'm going to step back for a second because when I talk to Dennis and I say, you know, and I saw him kind of a wheel of service with different advisors, where it's the, the CPA, the lawyer, the marketing, the, the retirement mm-hmm. plan or whatever. And I said, that's your wheel of service. I said, if you work for, let's say you're the CEO of Google, right? Well, you, you hire a CFO, you hire a VP of technology, you hire a director mm-hmm. of purchasing, you hire a head of HR. You have a, you're, the, you're the CEO of a small dental pack. You can't. You can't hire those people, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what do you do? Well, you, you have to outsource it. Uh, unless you, Eric, do you want to do you want to learn the tax code? I'm a CPA and I don't want to learn the tax code. Okay, <laughs> so so of course not, right? So you, I tell people you want to think about the highest and best use of your time. The highest and best use of most dental people's times is to be involved in production in terms of the highest and most valuable use of their time. I, I talked to a dentist and here's what they told me. They said on Sundays, I spend six hours putting entries into QuickBooks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're killing me. You could pay somebody 20, 20, 25 bucks an hour to put entries in QuickBooks. You can review them. Mm-hmm. But why are you killing your personal life and your family time? That, that's that's a control issue at that point, okay? Mm-hmm. And when we start talking about specialists, here's my favorite comment. A dentist says, yeah, but specialists cost money. And I'm like, well, of course, they have to eat. They have to pay the rent. I said the point is if you if you're if you're paying more out for a specialist than the value that you're getting back, you're using the wrong specialist. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, if if you feel like oh, I'm using a dental CPA, but I don't feel like I'm getting the value from it, okay, that's a reality check. But if your dental CPA has consistently um, uncovered things and understands benchmarks and things that your other CPA didn't, who didn't work with any other dentist. But here's another example. I see I see dentists who will go out and They'll try to go on the cheap and find a lawyer to help them through the buy or sell of a practice, mm. the biggest financial transaction of their life. Okay, so they try to save a couple hundred dollars up front, and they and they get a lawyer who's maybe not well versed in those transactions mm-hmm. and cost themselves tens of thousands of dollars on the back end. And, and so you know it's the a- irony. Uh, the the funny thing we we say, 
those are the same guys who, when you talk to them or, you know, girls, they'll say, I want, you know, I'm a great clinician. When a patient comes to me, they're getting amazing care. And that's why my crown costs more than the other people. But yet when they apply it to CPA or something else, they're like, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I tell them, your, your dental rep should be your best friend. And I said, here's why. Because your dental rep gets into 50 or 100, 100 plus offices mm -hmm. a month. You get, in, you get into maybe one other office, probably none. And then they say, yeah, but the dental rep's trying to sell me something. And I said, here's the deal. The way your dental rep becomes successful is by making you successful. So if the rep sells you a $30,000 scan or digital scanner that you never use, the reputation of that rep is in the toilet. So if, if your rep doesn't understand they become successful by making you successful, you have mm. the wrong rep. It's right. that simple. And, and so I try to get them to think these, these people work for you and you need to find the right people that are going to help you grow your practice. Yeah. Even someone selling to us has value in their domain knowledge and industry. Yeah. Of course. Agreed. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I talked to a guy, a dentist came up to me in Nashville at the break and he said, Doug, when I got out of college, my, my dad said, come join my practice. And after a couple of years, I'll make you a partner. You know, okay. Great story. It happens a lot. 12 years later. 12 years later, the son had to give the dad an ultimatum. Either you make me a partner or I'm walking. The dad strung him along for 12 years. Mm. And my point of the story was there were no agreements in place because the son thought, well, why do I need any agreements? It's all in the family, right? Uh, -uh. It's a business transaction. And so people make the mistake of, you know, when, when there's family involved, they, they think they can cut corners and, and, and not have all the T's crossed and the I's dotted that that can be very dangerous. It can. And, and, you know, dentists are, I will say in fairness, they are one of the most, most marketed to most sold <laughs> segment of population out there. I mean, them and surgeons and, and, you know, cause everyone knows their high wealth, you know, who they are, they're public. Yep. They know a lot of people and, and I get their shields go up on these things, yes. but I, I, for me, I, I, I think you preach something that I wish every dentist understood is that you need to surround yourself with an amazing team that you trust because you know, we're the same. If you don't win, I don't win. And yeah, I, I want to win. So, and then you, you know. can use your time that in a way that adds the most value to, to the business, the highest and best use of your time. And if everybody's, if everyone on your team is able to put their, their time where it has the highest use and the most value, that's how your practice is going to, is going to flourish. Whether, whether it's, the dentist, the hygienist, the office manager, that concept trickles down to everybody on the team. I love the, you know, I'm going back to the culture thing. That one is near and dear to me. Oh. I, I think that you can almost feel a good office when you walk in. Yep. And and it's how you get greeted, how you get walked back. If you're on time, if how the handoff happens, like. Yeah. You know, you, you, you've been there and since that tension of two people not getting along that day, it, it's, it's talked about all the time on the social media, but it in day-to-day -day practice that, that attention to just knowing that you're responsible for their livelihood and caring about them as individuals. I, I, I think you said that so well. Well, you know, I, I like to ask the dentist, let's say you have a rough night the night before, let's say you have a fight with your spouse. Or you, or you ask your middle-aged school son that night before you went to bed, are, are you all done with your homework? And they go, yep, dad, all done. And then you get up in the morning and they're they're scratching out a book report that's due at 9 a.m. and they're eating a bowl of cereal. And it's like, dude. And so you go into the office after you've had a frustrating night or morning. I, and I, I ask the dentist, I say, what do, you, what do you do when you walk in the office? Do you do you take it out on your team? 
<laughs> do you take it out on the patient? <laughs> I sure I sure hope not. Because what your job is, is when you cross through that threshold into the office, your job is to plaster a smile on your face and fake it. And after about 15 minutes, you're talking to your team, you're talking to the patient, you'll forget you're ever, ever in a bad mood. Mm -hmm. But if your team has to come in every day, and if they have to go, oh, gosh, I hope the dentist is in a good mood today. I, you know, who would want to work in that environment, right? I wouldn't. No, no, no. You wouldn't. So you, you as the dentist set the tone of that office, and, and that – that ripples down. If if your team if your team loves you to use that word, they that's that's that the patient's going to be able to feel that. It's going to ripple through the entire ecosystem of the office. And one of my favorite quotes from uh, Maya Angelou, a, a famous poet: "People will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, people will never forget how you made them feel." Mm -hmm. And so I say, well, how does how does that patient feel when they leave your office? How does your team member feel when they leave at the end of the day? That should be your main concern from a culture standpoint. How do you make them feel? Doug, I think that was lovely. I think that's a perfect <laughs> place to stop. I think I think if you can do that, you're going to be a, a wildly successful dentist. And I, I, I'm so grateful for you taking time to to jump on the show. It, it's it's been a wonderful. I mean, you're out there doing the good word of uh, trying to help dentists be more successful in a probably the most challenging time for dentistry we've ever had. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's, that's amazing. And I, I thank you because, you know, we, they're the salt of the earth. Oh, they are. And I, and I can't thank you enough for this opportunity, Eric, and for what you do to try to, to amplify positive things and, and ways that dentists can, can use that knowledge you're giving them to add value. So thank you for the service that you do to them every day. Thanks, Doug. All right. And that was your bite of dental marketing.